Hello, uh, welcome to the seventh episode of the ABD podcast. Uh, I'm Chris, I'm the drummer from the band Awake by Design and the host of this podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Adrian and Toby, from also from the band Awake by Design. How are you guys Hello. doing? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Good, thank you. Perfect. Uh, today our special guest is uh, Aaron Stainthorpe, vocalist and songwriter of the band My Dying Bride. Thanks for joining us for this chat. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, and thank you for inviting me here. It's good to be here. Yeah. No, thank you for joining us. It's, uh, it's a good way to spend a Friday night, especially uh, given that a lot of live music and being able to go out and all that kind of stuff is is off the cards and stuff like that. So I hope everyone. Now I'm kind of expecting you guys to do a, a bit of a jamming session so we can all uh, <laughs> enjoy a bit of the design. <laughs> that, oh, that'll no. be good with the latency. <laughs> <laughs> Start playing, and then th- three minutes later, I come in with the drums, <laughs> just like a normal band practice. No. <laughs> oh, um, so, during this very odd kind of period in time, I'm sure you probably get have been asked this if uh, you've done other interviews during lockdown. But how has this kind of affected uh, you as a songwriter and a and a musician, uh, just having that live aspect taken away from the routine? We are in somewhat of a unique position, really, because our last performance was September 2017. Mm. So um, we were kind of hoping that 2020 would be our return to stage. Mm. And unfortunately, it wasn't because of the pandemic. But we just carried on not playing live. So we'd already (laughs) done three years of not playing live. (laughs) 2020 was the fourth year. 2021 might be the fifth year of not playing live. So... It's just an extension of that, really. It hasn't hit us like it's hit most other bands who are touring or are about to tour and who have toured recently on the build-up to the pandemic. They are being hit very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of bands, uh, for a lot of bands, touring is their main income, if you like, because of um, merchandise sales on the road can generate a substantial amount of income. And if a band is doing perhaps 100, 150 shows a year, then the pandemic has wiped them out. Mm. And we feel really sorry for these guys. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, for a band like My Dying Bride, even in a good year, might do 15 to 20 live shows. Okay. So it's not a big impact on us. And as I mentioned, uh, 2017 was the last time we played live. So the pandemic, it's it hasn't had that great an impact on us really and indeed we managed to release a a brand new album in march uh, 2020 a year ago now Mm -hmm. and um an ep in november and peaceful re-released one of our albums so we had quite a bountiful year last year to be honest (laughs) yeah you've still been very busy i know the pandemic pandemic is rough really rough for a lot of people for us it's just it's just a continuation of sitting on our asses Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it's interesting you, you've said that because I think we've uh, we've we found it fairly similar. So it hasn't been as detrimental to us as a band. I think it's given us the opportunity to learn a lot of things that we otherwise wouldn't have thought of or had time to do. Yeah. Um. We've we've released an album. Uh. Yeah. Last last year at the height of of lockdown and um. We, we found it probably didn't do any worse or even maybe did better than it would have done if we had released it on a you know while, whilst touring or, or whilst trying to play shows and stuff and um, not the, uh, we're not a band that play a huge amount of live shows either um like 
I, I don't think we've played that many. Obviously, we, we were hoping to change that this year. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were <laughs> but, uh, hoping to do some sort of tour and hopefully get out to Europe. But I mean, that's going to be quite a while a, yet a until while. everything sort of mm. goes back to normal. And the album release show as well, which we kind of were oh, yeah. <laughs> pre, pre-planning and stuff. But mm. It's so, you know, we've all had the rug pulled from underneath us now, which is a real, it's a real shame because... I mean, it's a double blow, really, because we haven't just got the pandemic. We've got Brexit to deal with as well, yeah. which is really yeah. going to club about mm. bands who want to play on the continent anywhere outside uh, the UK. There's going to be weird taxes we all have to pay, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be more expensive. And it, it, it was already expensive, and it's just going to mm. be more so now. So when we're finally released by the pandemic, we've then got the Brexit war to get over. So mm. it, it's... 2021 is going to be as tough as 2020, no doubt. It's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, yeah. it's funny as well because um, Brexit was on the news all the time, and then obviously COVID 19 happened, and that sort of took the forefront of all the news. So now we're sort of coming slightly out of it and coming back to some sort of normality. Everyone's realised, oh yeah, there's Brexit to deal with now, and you're right, it's going to be a massive pain for the music industry as well as many other industries as well. But for the music industry, especially for bands at a weight by designs level, we're trying to sort of get a name for ourselves, trying to get out there. Um, we want to try Europe and it's going to be very difficult to get out there and sort of make a decent profit and, you know, and have everything at a good level. It's going to be very difficult. It's not going to be easy. Hmm. In, the, in the early days, Diane Bride would, um, would, because we've never had a manager, me and Andrew kind of, we make the phone calls and we would just hire a van from the local van hire place, chuck all the gear in it. I would drive it and the rest of the guys would sleep on top of the equipment and we'd just drive down to either, well, we never drove to Dover, it was too far, but we drove to Harwich and caught the seven-hour ferry across to the Hook of Holland. Oh, yeah. We just drove around Western Europe playing the small clubs and, and, you know, printing our own black and white T-shirts and selling stuff. And it was great. And that's how a lot of bands start. You know, that's quite often, you know, your introduction to playing on the continent is in the back of a transit van. Yeah. And that's how it should be. That's how you earn your stripes. Absolutely. Um, and, there were, you know, this was at the time when there wasn't a, the euro either. You know, they had guilders in Holland, mm-hmm. Deutschmarks in Germany, French, France. And so we had pockets full of weird currencies. Um <laughs> And there were still a couple of countries you needed to show your passport at the border. But it was still easier five years ago than it is now. Now, if we hired a well, the tour bus now, obviously, um, <laughs> we'd, get, we'd get stopped at Calais. They'd want all kind of papers and we'd have to pay for this and that. And it, it just it's just a nightmare at the moment. And I, I've heard that... Um, MP Harriet Harman is trying to find a way to get a Europe-wide working visa for bands. Yeah. And uh, I've heard Elton John saber-rattling and Roger Daltrey from The Who as well is, is trying to back up this campaign to, to, to make it easier for bands to tour. I mean, these guys, and they've admitted it, they can afford it. It's an issue for them. They're doing it for us mm-hmm. because it's too expensive for us. And we don't want to be prohibited from playing in Europe financial reasons we want to go there that's where i mean they have such broad-minded music the love for music on the continent we have to get our music there our, our music struggles a bit in the united kingdom to be honest um that's why we don't play live that often here for us a europe a, a, a british tour is manchester and london that's it 
because no one wants to see us anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then we hit the continent and we have a, we have a ball in mainland Europe. Um, and unless something can get sorted out, we won't be doing that again. And there's been some ideas and some suggestions, um, none of which are brilliant, but we need to just work our way through them. Um, and I'm sure a solution will arise at some point which will make it viable. Maybe that's for a band at my dying bride's level. For smaller bands, the solutions that we might find might not apply. Mm. And mm. smaller bands might have to find some other of doing it, even if there's a loophole or a grey area, you know, you, you might need to hire all your equipment when you get over there and pretend you're simply going on holiday. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, you're, yeah you're right. <laughs> yeah. You, you just tell the venue, right, we need all this gear. Whoever the other bands are, can we borrow their gear? And you just drive out of this country into the continent looking all innocent, and when you get there, you try and do tr- ply your trade. It's, it's tricky and it shouldn't really be that way. No, it's a, it's a bit of a shame that I keep thinking it whenever I watch um, interviews with other other bands that we like and and, and such. Um, a lot of bands say they they wouldn't start a band in this in this day and age with with the way the music industry is, and then um, that then worries us. I mean, we, we've we've been going for a good ten years now, but we've never sort of like properly taken off and as such. But we've had a really good time. But um, it's always one of those things where you just think, is it going to get better? Is it going to get harder? I mean, it's always been hard to sort of get somewhere and make a name for yourself but it just seems now with the uh the digital age it seems even harder to sell your products and stuff and get that out there because everyone's just downloading it so it just seems a worry it's a different different landscape it's tricky now because you sometimes think with all these social media platforms now it would it it would and it should be easier to Mm. spread the good word of the weight by design but Mm. the problem is the other bands in the world are doing it as well and it's very congested you, you go to Bandcamp, and there's a million bands on Bandcamp. Yeah, uh, it's, it's difficult to it's difficult to make your band stand out because everyone's trying the same tricks. Everyone's mastered certain aspects of the social platform so that their uh, an algorithm will bring their name to the top. But mm-hmm. because you've done that, another band's done it, and everyone's hopping, <laughs> frogging each other, and it's yeah. just it, it's it's very very difficult. Uh, we were lucky. You know, my dying bride started thirty years ago, before all this crazy stuff happened, and um, we established ourselves uh, before the internet was as popular as it is now. And I think that that stood us in good stead. And we we've embraced um, social media, but in the last sort of five years, you know, I only joined Facebook about a year or two ago. You know, I'm, I'm just as everybody's leaving. <laughs> I, I was very late because we were, we were a very private band and we never shouted about ourselves very much. Perhaps we should have done, but I, I don't know. But it's only in these last few years we've kind of found a digital voice and we've kind of been politely waving the My Dying Bride flag saying, look, look at us, are we good? <laughs> and we still do it very gingerly, you know. I, I, yeah. I don't know, you know, some people probably laugh at some of my Facebook posts because they're very rudimentary. Mm-hmm. There's nothing flash going on. And sometimes, you know, people say, oh, you don't do enough stuff on Instagram. And, and I look and I think, oh, I've put three things on in the last year. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to be one of these people who... who feels they're almost forced to post something every day mm. 
because after a while you're going to end up posting trivial stuff which is meaningless to everybody including yourself yeah. you just you get obsessed and you get hooked by the figures the likes and mm. if you start to see those likes drop you'll become desperate to do some other random act in order to gain more likes and you'll yeah. become a parody of yourself you become a fool a character uh, an, a monkey entertaining people just for the likes for the clicks after a while you have lost your identity totally because you're obsessed with thumbs ups and, and i just i never want to be like that you know and that's why i don't mind i don't mind putting stuff on facebook once a week and forgetting i've got an instagram account i've never tweeted you know and I, I don't see the point of twitter when you've already got facebook and instagram but that's that's a dinosaur speaking <laughs> to me facebook and um instagram is more than enough and i have both of them turned off on my phone <laughs> and so when people send me a message i i choose when to look at those messages my phone doesn't i turned all the alerts off so when i'm in the mood put my phone on and i'll i'll go and look to see if there's messages and of course there's fucking hundreds which is it's great <laughs> it also means okay I, i've got i've got an hour free I'll go through the messages and I'll talk to people. I'll correspond with people who found time to ask me a question. So I will work my way through them, but, but because there's quite a lot, I often don't get through them all. Um, and it gets too much for me and I turn it off again and leave it for a week and then turn back on the stack more. But I prefer it that way. And I can deal with things in my time, not have my phone irritating me minute of the day yeah with messages uh, and some of them are good messages some of them are a little bit trivial but I, I can't live like that i can't live on my phone and i can't live in the digital age 24 7. Mm -hmm. i approach it when i feel i've got time to dedicate to it give better answers and if i left it on all the time and the notifications on all the time i, I feel my answer answers would be short and to the point mm -hmm. very little detail because I know there's another question coming in another 30 seconds. Yeah. Mm. I, I can't live online. I choose to go online when it suits me. And I'm sure that irritates the shit out of a lot of people who are following me because they'll be used to, to other bands who reply almost instantaneously. Well, it adds a bit, me, of, it adds a bit of mystery, doesn't it? But for me, if you send me a message, Adrian, if you sent me a message tonight... Mm. Probably Sunday afternoon, maybe when I read it, and you'll be sat there saying, "What's he doing? What, why isn't he responding?" <laughs> it's because it, it's all turned off. I respond yeah. mm -hmm. when I'm ready. No, I think that's a good approach yeah. to take. To, to be fair, that's that's probably the best way to use social media. If if you're able to do that without getting the itch of mm. what's going on, oh, I need I need to know. I think that's the worst bit. Is the it, it's to use it as a as a communication tool to kind of talk to people and to reply to messages and stuff like that is is probably the best use for it um it's when you're looking for things to interact with i think you can get stuck in a just you know looking for the next thing to like or to have try and i find, find, my, I find know, myself scrolling through just the scrolling timelines. just aimlessly aimlessly danger, scrolling through things and you're just thinking yeah. what am i what am i doing like, you're just, just watching yeah. like 
pi- pi- like fa- like what's it called fail videos and you're just like then you find it funny funny for a second then you're like why am i watching this i could be like i don't know playing the piano or something or doing something productive you know yeah, exactly. but no, you're definitely right it's good to sort of come off it and come away from it and then you know go on your pc rather than your phone and designate that one hour or that half an hour of your day or every other day and just focus on those messages then and then come off it and leave it for a couple of days i think that's a good way of doing it to be honest i'm, I'm old school you know when you're trying to type a message in on a phone it's yeah <laughs> I, mean, it's, I can't do that you see the kids like that i'm like this it takes forever but as i mentioned before i've been using computers for years i'm at home with a proper keyboard a full-size keyboard yeah. and i can type really really quickly so i try and respond on my pc rather than my phone because on my phone it, it will take me two minutes to reply <laughs> on my pc it'll be 40 seconds yeah just physical typing mm-hmm. because i can do it much more dexterous when it comes to a full-size keyboard than a, whatever big screen that is um so um i get there i'm a little bit slow but i i'm i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah absolutely um we've had a question uh from what was that graves of giants on twitch uh saying i probably know the answer to this but are there any plans at all to tour the us um some plans in i saw some touring suggestions about a month ago but because everything's still up in the air even the ones that are in western europe right on our border Mm. are still in doubt um, and so I haven't bothered looking further down the list at the things that are further off yet because I don't know what's happening. And I, I can't get excited or nervous about these gigs yet. Well, I haven't got a clue if they're not even going to happen. In the old days, before the pandemic, when you got a list of confirmed gigs, they were definitely happening. Mm-hmm. And you could visualize where you were going mm-hmm. up until the end of the year. And you can you pick which songs you're going to play. You, you arrange the set list everybody gets together and rehearses and it's great to see everybody and it's great to play the songs and you you get excited and you start telling people right we're playing here and we're playing there and we're playing everywhere it stands we can't we can't do that you know i mean i've still seen some of the gigs we are playing and the promoters are still promoting the gigs i i I just feel a little bit doubtful in my mind that they're going to happen but i don't want to say anything because i'm trying to be optimistic i want the gigs to happen been quietly optimistic yeah that's it's just we've been kicked in the teeth so often that i, I just i can't get excited because i don't want to be disappointed so if i stay disappointed yeah. i remain on the same level <laughs> at some point it's going to be a nice surprise where they're like oh no it is going ahead and you're like oh oh okay yeah brilliant. <laughs> but yeah I, I think a lot of bands have been in that position where i've seen them like reschedule entire tours and stuff like that twice and it's it's like that's that's got to be a lot of work for something that's not guaranteed, but it, I suppose it shows just how desperate yeah. uh, some bands are to get back out there. I suppose. Well, aren't uh, some festivals booked back on? Aren't um, Bloodstock and I know Download stopped, but you have got Stone Dead Festival. Hmm. Um, they've they're they're up and running again. Fingers crossed. Fingers. Damnation crossed. is in Leeds in November. Mm-hmm. You kind of hope. I mean, our government seemed to think most of all have had most of us will have had at least one vaccination jab by the end of summertime. With that in mind, you would kind of hope that towards the end of the year, some of the gigs might actually happen. Now, I don't know if they're going to have to be socially distanced, which would be 
terrible because that's not a gig. It's just people standing and watching a performance. A gig is a hot, sweaty environment with people jumping up and down and, and feeling the vibe together. Keeping two metres apart is safe and lovely as it is. It's clinical and horrible. And, and even if you're really into the music, you'll feel a bit of a burk moving around a bit to it because there's nowhere to bang into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, no atmosphere, I don't think. Um, but but if, if that's the way it has to be for the time being, then I guess so be it. But maybe we can start looking optimistically towards 2022 when things might actually get back to normal and tentatively take those steps towards the latter part of 2021 and maybe get a couple of weird gigs in um, and bring it all back in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we are going to try to America, by the way. <laughs> or the United States, I, I, I should. I, I, once, I, I called it America. When we toured with Ronnie James Dio a long time ago in the United States, I, I said something on stage about it's great to be here in America. And Ronnie berated me after the show, <laughs> saying, Aaron, it's not America, it's the United States. How stupid are you? And I was like, who are you there, man? It's preferable if you call it the United States. But so, yes, we will be there, but we haven't got any concrete tour dates yet. But our move to Nuclear Blast Records has opened up lots of avenues for us and it will enable us to travel to territories we've only been to once or twice in the past a lot more. So yes, we'll be returning to the States probably 2022. Perfect. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got anywhere in particular, Aaron, that you haven't played yet that you look forward to playing? I'd love to go to Japan. Mm. The culture seems so vibrant. Um, we we know bands who have played there. Um, I just you know some bands we know who have played there who, who they consider my my dying bride bigger than them, and we sort of consider them a bit smaller than us. And I'm thinking, have you been able to afford to go to Japan when we can't afford to go to Japan? But I haven't asked that question because. I, mm. I don't know, talking money is vulgar, of course. Um, but I would love to go to Japan. Um, you know, our bass player, Lena, is half Japanese, and she's told us about all the crazy stuff, the sights and the sounds that goes on over there. And it sounds amazing. And when you see it on TV, it looks incredible. Um, and I already love the food. So yeah, I'd love to go. And I guess once you're out in that neck of the woods, as I say, that neck of the woods, it makes sense to maybe go to Australia and New Zealand as well. Even though they're thousands of miles apart, they're still a lot closer than we are. It's a stepping stone so, away, isn't it? Yeah. So I think Japan and, and Australasia would be lovely. We, we've never touched on those areas at all. We've never even been close. Yeah, I think um, yeah. my dad would do really well over in J- Japan because they've got a massive sort of... Yeah, I'm really, I'm really surprised that um, my dad and haven't played Japan, actually. Mm. They've, they've got a great attitude towards music. Never even heard a request. You know, we, we have a promoter in London and every once in a while we'll, well, we used to email him saying, is there any chance we can do this and any chance that we can do that? And then you sometimes hear a response back um, and sometimes if, if you don't hear a response, in itself is the response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay, we'll... we'll... <laughs> quiet it's a polite way of saying not this time yeah sure <laughs> uh, we've had another question come in from the chat um 
Iter Damp, if I'm saying that right, I'm not sure, says, uh, will my dying bride ever play an album-specific set again, akin to the Turn Loose the Swan set at Roadburn not too long ago? I'd kill to see that as Flowers with a specific set or Songs of Darkness. Cheers. Yeah, I don't see why not. The people at Roadburn asked us to do it, and we thought, that's an interesting request. We went back and looked at the album and thought, yeah, we can do this, let's, let's do it. Um, it's quite an interesting thing to do, an interesting exercise for all of the band members, hmm. particularly because the band members we had when we wrote the album were mostly different to the band members who played it live. So for them, they were treading on new territory. Um, but it, it's just a matter of someone asking. Roadburn said, will you play Turn Loose the Swans? We said, go on then. <laughs> no one's asked us to do any others. If they do, we will seriously consider it. Brilliant. It's got to be a, quite an undertaking to do uh, to do a full album and stuff like that. It's, it's, I don't think it's something I've ever done, but it's definitely something that some does that sound about, like a really cool you, thing I to mean, do. I mean, some of the songs you won't have ever played, I assume. Maybe one or two of them you may have never played. So you have to kind mm. of look at how, they, how they're going to work live and everything. And that, that in itself, I, I guess it's quite a bit daunting and a bit um, exciting as well. It is, but it's also... It's... It's almost, I don't know how I dare say this, mentioning money was vulgar earlier on. It's almost easy money because you only have to play the album. The album's about 45 minutes long. That's mm. like the shortest set <laughs> we've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> if we were to play a line of Deathless Kings from start to finish. That'd be, that, I'd like to see that, but... Yeah. <laughs> we'll be at the bar. We'll be at the bar before, you know, it's, it's easy to do. And so, in fact, we should we should... We should instigate more of those ourselves so we can do a, sh a gig that's less than an hour long and then have a few drinky foods with the fans. A set list is easy to figure out as well. There we go, done. Right, next. Yeah. You don't even have to introduce each song. <laughs> you know what's I hope you've brought your CD, uh, read the back, and uh, you know what's coming up. I think it's one of those things as well where sometimes um, it might might be different for, for some bands, it might even be different for everyone, but sometimes... Uh, a track listing in order of what it is on the album might not sort of convey live that well if you know what i mean so like sometimes you might want a different set list live um because some albums they start with um like just piano and you know not on about my dying bride but just at any sort of band it could start off with like an orchestral thing which can last 10 minutes and then <laughs> then get into it so sometimes you want to come in straight away don't you but um so yeah some albums might not convey exactly as they are on cd to what they are like i guess so, if, it, again, if it's something else to look if at. you're playing the full album it's going to be for the diehard it would be for the, the people that are there watching it most i would have thought would be the diehard fans that yeah. will know every second of that album and will have waited for that moment to see it um in its entirety, in its we, entirety. We, we saw a similar thing when we played the um 70,000 tons of metal, the Caribbean cruise ship, which is an amazing... If ever you get the opportunity <laughs> to do that gig, it's brilliant. And Candlemas played all of Epicus, Dumicus, Metallicus. Oh, wow. Album oh, from nice. start to finish. And I was right at the front. It was one of the best gigs I've ever seen because <laughs> I knew what was coming. Yeah. yeah. And it was all... It was just perfect. It was just great. And it took me back to that time when I first bought that CD. And suddenly I was yeah. 20 years younger again and just really loving it. And mm. because you, you think, particularly if an album was released some time ago, that that's an era that is now in the past. And we are now here two decades later. You'll never relive that again because we've all moved on. So when a band does do something like that, it takes you back to your youth. Mm -hmm. You know, I rarely stand at the front of any gig 
going, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then, absolutely loving it. Like I was 15, it was fantastic. It brings you back, doesn't it? Especially having knowing that the other people there are part of that kind of community as well, that have the same kind of, I've waited to see this whole album as well, and you're kind of all in the same boat together. It's, it's, yeah, it's a pretty unique experience, really, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, so, any more questions? Yeah, I was just, um, I was gonna gonna ask how the um, the writing process has changed from the older albums to the newest album. Sort of the major, the major differences really in in how you approach it when you when you say like we're gonna make an album kind of thing. Um, what the sort of big changes are? I think software and hardware have made it much easier these days we can pretty much demo stuff yeah in our own home homes particularly andrew andrew's really he's really gone into it big time he's bought the whole he'd have an electronic drum kit um, but he's found some drum software which he prefers now to the actual physical drum kit so when he's, he's noodling away at some riffs and he comes up with some riffs then he'll come up with a harmony for it he'll put bass on it I'll put the drums to it. The only thing you can't do is keyboards and violin, but for the most part, the song's done already, mm. and he can email it to us. I was having to rehearse, um, and it, it and you, you hear it and you think, fucking hell. And I, because I'm not a musician and I'm a bit thick, I'm thinking, when I hear it, I'm thinking, Dan's done well on those drums, Andy. And Andy's <laughs> sniggering away thinking, well, it's the latest software of this drum machine. And I'm thinking, oh, that bass is way too loud. Turn Lena down. She should be seen and not heard. And uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, that's me playing bass as well. And when you realise how much you can accomplish in the comfort of your own mini home studio, sometimes wonder, what's the point in spending money on a ruddy great rehearsal room mm-hmm. and indeed a really expensive studio because you can demo stuff at home and get it 95% bang on how you want it and then maybe send them to an engineer somewhere at an established studio to engineer and produce the sort of standard people would expect for the most part you can probably do most of it at home Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's quite inspiring for young bands out there who, you know, you, you often see or you hear people saying, oh, I'm looking for a guitar player, I need a drummer, oh, I can't find a bass player. And if you have the aptitude, the ability and the talent to, to learn those instruments yourself, and harking back to the days when I was a massive fan of Bathory, he played all the instruments himself and produced the albums and engineered the albums with Boss who was allegedly his father, mm. um, but Quarthon played all the instruments. And that was oh. 35 years ago. Wow. Um, anyone could do it now. It's come a long way, hasn't it? That's, that's yeah. definitely, I think, the, uh, the, the go-to for people now is, is at, at the very least, being able to demo to a fairly high standard at home and then, yeah, being able to send it externally to get it mixed and stuff like that. I think that's generally mm. the go-to. Like, I remember even from, from when... We were starting our previous band. It was all uh, just live in a in a practice room. Mm. So yeah, you would just 
sit there jam and you know it would all be written and then when you kind of all remembered the songs enough it would be like oh should we, should we record it now yeah. <laughs> whereas now it's completely the opposite where it's like let's just go into each detail of every song and let's get as you know in depth as we want to or feel necessary doing on on each track and you know when it gets to a point where we're like right yeah this sounds great like, I do think I do you think you lose a little you lose a little something though from doing stuff just in your home like because obviously back in the day I imagine mm. a lot of bands coming up with songs would jam the first time you'd sort of do something you'd jam it together mm-hmm. uh, instead of just doing it on your own and you, and you, and there's something special about that kind of um, doing it doing it in that kind of jamming way at a practice or something than just. There's certain energy. Yeah, I th- yeah I you have your other band members around you. Don't the inspiration you? So like, you get from, from yeah. Them. Like you might write a riff that you might not think is very good, but me or Chris might be in the background and we're like, oh, Toby, what's that? That sounds really nice. So that's what's good about being in a practice room together rather than being on your own. I mean, they, they've both got their you know, pros and oh, disadvantages, yeah, yeah. haven't they? Pros and cons. Yeah. It's exactly how uh, the cry of mankind worked. Mm. Robin was just noodling away in the background while I was putting the kettle on making tea at our rehearsal room in Bradford a thousand years ago. <laughs> and I was talking with Andrew while the kettle was boiling and Calvin was... I say he was he was noodling around and then he got into that now 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 me and Andy sort of stopped and looked at each other. We thought that sounds sounds interesting. We sort of just just repeat that, Calvin, repeat that a bit. And Andrew picked up his guitar and did some chords along with it, and then the, the drums joined in. Um, and then that song just evolved through one rehearsal session. It it, it grew in front of us and with us. The things we gave to it, it gave back to us, and we were like at one with it. And there was an atmosphere in the room, and the 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 hairs on your arms and the back of your neck were stood up on end. And you just knew something. It was happening right now. Those times they're rare. Um, It's always good and interesting and fulfilling to a song together in the same environment at the same time and the digital side of it and the the isolated side if you like works right you do miss that camaraderie of of building a song together which actually fun enough um i spoke to andrew a week ago and he's come up with a whole bunch of new riffs and is keen to begin writing some new material wants us all to rehearse and will bring the material rehearsal room rather than construct songs himself mm-hmm. despite it working in the past he maybe it's something to do with quarantine or not being able to see each other he wants to bring it to the the rest of the band and wants their feedback and wants to see what what happens so um we might go back to that more sort of analog of doing it um for for the next album whenever that might be mm-hmm. i guess things things like things like come round in a cycle though don't they i don't think people are going to want to just sit at home forever kind of doing that process i think it's good you're going to be oh, i remember those days when we used to kind of jam and do that kind of stuff like you're gonna you're gonna want to kind of go back and and feel that what it's like like you said about writing um writing the song it's uh yeah i imagine it was incredible it's great and i just I remember that, that that period being it was so hot as well and because the rehearsal room has no ventilation f- because it needs to be soundproof <laughs> we were in this old mill in bradford 
we were all skinny as rakes back then, and we all took our shirts off, but wore them on our heads a bit like nuns, keep the sweat from pouring out of our eyes. And we used to turn the lights off in the rehearsal room. There was enough sort of LEDs on the guitar amp and the, the bass and, 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 and what have you. Once your eyes adjusted, you could still look out where people were by their silhouette or their shadow. And anyone who walked in must have thought, you know, who are these weird? Because we'd light a few candles as well. It just, that added to the ambience of songwriting. Mm -hmm. As cheesy as it is, you know, we liked it dark and we liked candles. And it was so hot. That was almost a weird punishment. It's like have to torture yourself in order to get the very, very best out of you. Mm. And so we, you know, we were, <laughs> the sweat was pouring off us when we created the cry of mankind and the room was black and it's just little lights glowing and the flicker of the candles and music was just growing and growing and growing. Our tea got really cold because we'd left it outside. <laughs> I think it was worth it. Absolutely. The, the tragedy of the cold tea. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think having, um, that that kind of ambience in the room does does put you in a certain headspace, doesn't it? To to mm. to write something, you have to kind of try and create a a, a mood or a, or a feeling to get the most out of the kind of song that you're writing. It's you like know. you were saying um, about daytime and nighttime as well. If you were sat in a really sunny day outside, just uh, in like a nice green field, and so I don't think it would be the same as that kind of dingy, hot, sweaty no. at night. Mm. If it's a nighttime and it's it's dark outside and candles and yeah, I mean. It's going to inspire. It's going to inspire something. Because when you're, when you are in the throes of something really creative and magnificent, pull some funny faces. <laughs> Guitar players when they when they achieving something, the wincing all you know. They're doing, woo, woo, woo. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm when I'm doing the lyrics when I'm singing, you know, I'm pulling all all manner of things. And when the lights are on, you're a little bit self-conscious of, of doing that because you think people might look across and, and you might feel like a bit of an idiot. So when it's dark and you know they can't really see what you're doing, plus they're concentrating on what they're doing, it allows you to really enunciate everything you're doing. You can really get into it. And it, it worked for it. Same with the drummer. Normally he'd just drum looking at us all, making sure everybody all right. Am I in time? Is that good? Instead, he's got his eyes shut and he's fucking giving it all that. Yeah. And if there was those um, night vision cameras, it looked like we were all having a stroke. <laughs> it was just, just, just have to allow yourself to just let go sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the darkness allows you to do that. So that, that self-conscious aspect is removed and it, it really allows you freedom of expression. And like you said as well, in, yeah, in do, that I moment, do. nothing else would have mattered. No, you wouldn't have been. Yeah. You wouldn't have been thinking about the daytime or your job or or anything that was going on. You'd just be thinking about that in the moment, that completely song. in the moment, which is yeah. rare. Which is very rare, like um, at a, a band practice, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Is there any way you sort of um, when you're touring, do you look after your voice? Do you have like herbal teas, or do you? Just- is your voice just, can you just crack on and then be absolutely fine just drinking? Or just, you know, after a few gigs, does your voice sort of sort of fade away a little bit? Or 
Well, I, I don't do anything to look after it. Um, I, I just drink tea. I drink tea during the day and wine and beer in the evening, and I eat anything I want. Well, um, I think most we've ever done, we've done seven gigs in a row. Mm. It, it was, I think, towards the end of the last gig, you just get a little bit croaky. Particularly the death metal vocals aren't quite, they're as loud and as aggressive as they were on the first day of the tour. But you can't hold the notes as long, you know, that you're, yeah. you're, you're nipping them off a little bit because it's not that you're out of breath. I mean, I've got massive lungs. I had, I had a breath test for some football thing I used to do years ago, and I blew the thing off the scale. But I've got massive lungs. The throat was getting a bit red raw, and so you're cutting the note off, not because you're out of breath, but because it's starting to get a bit painful. The last thing you want is all this blood flying out. Yeah. But I can go, I can go night after night after night with... You know, once upon a time, someone gave me some of these uh, throat lozenge things, but, um, well, I can't tell if they worked or not, because we're doing gigs of, like, four days, then a day off, four days, then a day off, and that's not enough to, to really punish my voice. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've, got, you've got to go a lot longer than that. But I just, I, I don't know how, I just managed to maintain the ability to do death metal vocals, which I still love doing, um, you know, from for, for, I've been doing it for 30 years. You would think at some point I, I should either sound like Barry White <laughs> or, or I shouldn't be able to talk at all because I should have throttled myself to death. But mm. somehow, you know, the vocal gods have been with me and, 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 and everything's OK. That's really good. It's, it's really luck good. sometimes, isn't it, of, of being able to do it and other, other people suffering like... Uh, vocal fatigue and stuff like that, isn't it? It's luck of the draw a lot of the time with with longevity and being able to do tours and stuff like that. Definitely, I think as much as it is technically it probably helps. Probably yeah. helps, that it helps that I don't smoke. Mm. Yeah, oh, mass probably, yeah. massive. Yeah, smoking might make it better, but I'm not going down. <laughs> it helped that the, it helped the growls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Freddie yeah. Mercury smoked um, loads, and I, I don't understand how he had a voice like that and smoked. It's, mm. it's unbelievable how he did that. I, I don't know, but I don't think anything was going to affect his performance, <laughs> though, was it? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, you get into a habit as well, don't you? Because I remember Freddie saying he didn't want his his teeth fixing. Mm. He's very self conscious about his two front teeth because yeah. he felt that as soon as he had an operation to, to fix his teeth, it would ruin his voice. Mm -hmm. And his voice was the most important thing. But clearly, smoking, he, he probably didn't stop smoking because yeah. he might think, would, he, probably his whole daily routine would probably, after a while, evolve around, right, I have three coffees, six teas, have some carbohydrate, a bit of protein, six cigarettes, and I need to do that day in, day out in order to maintain. It becomes like a superstition. Yeah. You don't break from that because if you do, it could all be over. Your world, your world could come tumbling down. So people maintain that same thing over and over again for fear of losing their gifts. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite, I think it's quite a common thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. this is working for me. Let's keep doing it for as long as possible, like it, whether whether it is or not. I suppose. Mm. Um, uh, I think we've had another. We have one, one religious thing, which I simply have two beers before I go on stage. That's the only superstitious <laughs> thing I ever do. I just need a couple of little beers just to take, or to not, it, nothing will take that nervous energy away, but it mm. just dulls it enough, enough yeah. for me to be able to walk out on stage without my knees giving way. Mm. 
we we used to have a similar rule, but it was it was to stop certain members of us drinking more than two pints. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> right, yeah. So that was a only have two pints before you go on stage, and then we might no be more. good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We've only ever drunk too much. We, we're in Holland somewhere. I can't remember the venue, but we, we'd had a little bit too much before we went on stage. I, as I was preparing, I uh, took my T-shirt off, went to put my shirt on. And for some weird reason, I thought it'd be a great idea to shave an inverted cross into my chest. Stop these clippers, because I, I think I had long hair at that time, so someone else must have had some, some hair clippers. <laughs> I just I shaved this massive inverted cross <laughs> to my entire chest and stomach. I put my shirt on and felt proper rock and roll and strutted out on stage and I've messed up all my lines. So I won't be doing that again. I, th- I think we need to hear some more tour, tour stories if they're going to start like that. So, uh... <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild, to be fair. <laughs> uh, we've, uh, we've done a few funny things, but that's for another day. <laughs> for the AVD podcast after dark. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, it's Dan P. Sorry, I, I mispronounced the name in chat last time. It's Dan P. Sorry. Um, he's asked another question. Um, will there ever be a fourth instalment in the Siemi series? Unlikely. I think three was probably enough. A trilogy sounds about right. Um, and, and that um, signature tune that runs through all three of them, beautiful as it is, I think it's it's lived its life and... As lovely as it is, we could do another kind of version of it, but I suppose the fans would become more cynical and say, oh, they're milking this. They've run out of ideas. They've decided to do another one because everybody loved seeing me back in the day and they're doing it for commercial reasons. Oh, they've signed to Nuclear Blast, so now they're doing all this. So I think even if we fancy doing it, you know, really weird version i suppose you know a brand new version perhaps with more classical instruments and, and even if it, it looked good on paper and sounded good in rehearsal i don't think we would really do it because i think people would just say really <laughs> i think three was enough i think we'll leave it there that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, have you got a um a particular album that you that you think is your favorite out of your whole back catalog well, it was the dreadful hours for a long long time um, and I, I don't know if it still is. Um, it was dreadful hours because I think from start to finish, of every song on the album, for me the album was a complete unit. I couldn't listen to, I couldn't pick one song out of it and listen to that. I had to listen to it from yeah. start to finish because that's that's how it was like eating a meal. You want to eat all of it. Mm. You know, well, you, I suppose you do pick at different bits, but um, I, I like to devour the whole of the album all at once, and there's not a dull moment for me throughout the whole record. Um, saying that, I mean, I haven't listened to some of our albums for a long time now, so and it's nice, you know, it's kind of a nostalgic trip when you decide... If I, I never decide to put on a CD. There's always somebody somewhere investigates it and plants a little seed and prompts you to, oh, why don't you put on um, Songs of Darkness? You know, and you think, oh, I haven't, I haven't listened to that for a decade. You put it on and listen to it. You, you know, you do that nodding and smiling and thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. And when I reread the lyrics, you know, I think, oh, this is this is brilliant. You know, and I, I, I really get into them. 
so I, I I guess I need to listen to them more, maybe over this course of 10 days, and then maybe I'll be able to pick a new favourite, or maybe The Dreadful Hours will continue to be my favourite album. I don't know yet, but they are difficult to choose, you know, because I know everybody says it, but they're like your children, you know. You, you helped create them and nurture them and bring them to life uh, and then sell them to people. Um, <laughs> and, and so... It, when someone says which one do you prefer, it's it's difficult. You know? it's, and again, we've worked with different people on different albums. You know, Calvin's been and gone. Rick, the original drummer, has been and gone. Martin, the violin player, has been and gone. Hamish has been and gone. You know, the, all of these people brought things to the table. They're no longer with us. So when you listen to a particular album, you remember the people and the time that you did it. And there are some albums that are stronger than others, but you prefer them for the life that you lived at the time it was recorded and written. Mm. So, you know, you might pick one where the production's not great, you know, we didn't have a lot of budget, but it was the time and the people and the place that made it special to me, which is only to me. Someone who's bought the album will feel completely different to me. It's the same with all our albums. When I listen to Turn Loose The Swans, I don't listen to it the same way that someone who bought it listens to it, because I was there and I saw how the songs were created. So it's like, um, who's that guy in Coronation Street? Our our European fans won't know what I'm talking about. Um, the guy who's been in every episode of Coronation Street, I mean, he can never watch Coronation Street. It's <laughs> adored as it by millions of people. Yeah. He'll never know what that's like. Metallica will never know what it's like to listen to Master of Puppets like we listen to Master of Puppets. Yeah. I'll never know what it's like to listen to Turn Loose the Swans like other people do. It's just one of those quirky things. Yeah. I think um, the, the Dreadful Hours was the first My Dying Bride album I got. My, uh, mine as well. Yeah. Yeah, was it? Yeah. It's, it's your favourite, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, definitely my favourite. Close to like Gods of the Sun, but I think... Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely the number one. I think mainly because mm. I got it first, probably. Uh, you get the... <laughs> you you get the you get the memories from the kind of the first um the first kind of album you get from a band i guess like when you're when your first impression is huge when you're getting it? into kind of it was a bit later than when i was getting into metal but it was kind of the first my dying bride album i got and it was definitely um mm. definitely incredible album as well i think my I favorite think that's why my... i always mention master of Metallica. It, that was yeah. my introduction. I heard I heard Master of Puppets at this nightclub we all went to called the Frog and Toad in Bradford. And I was blown away by it. When you hear Master of Puppets through humongous speakers, yeah. it just sounds phenomenal. And I had never heard anything like that before because it's not something that appears on British radio very often back when it was released. So had I not gone to this club at that time and been exposed to it there and then, I would I, I wouldn't the affection that I have for it now, for me, Master of Puppets will always be Metallica's greatest album because that was my introduction. Mm. That That's where my mind is with them. That's how I love them. And it's the same with anyone who was introduced to any album. You know, that big introduction leaves its mark, its identity, and that can never be erased. And arguably they may pr produce better albums um, Production-wise, songwriting-wise, critically acclaimed, but for you, doesn't matter. One you heard first will always be the best. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, with Master of Puppets in mind, I, I, that was one of the first Metallica albums I heard as well. I think I heard 
it was the first, probably the first two CDs I ever bought was was uh, Master of Puppets and, and Justice for All at the same time, and I could just, you can just picture where you were when you heard the like the first thing. Like every time I hear Sanitarium from that album, mm. I can picture being like in my room as like a, a young teenager, <laughs> just being like, "Whoa, what what's this?" You know, like I've never heard anything like this before. This is incredible, and yeah, it's those defining moments, isn't it, mm. that that give you that connection with music, especially. But like, as well, yeah, like, I, I'm lucky enough. I've been offered, I've been offered a, a DJ slot on uh, Gimme Metal Radio, which I'm doing on Tuesday. Okay. <clears throat> and about those those formative years, all, all, most of the songs I've picked for my set are all from 30 years ago because <laughs> I heard the albums at that time. They blew me away. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, when someone says, right, we've got a two-hour show, you're doing 15 minutes of talking, we want an hour of 45 of music, all from 30 years ago because brilliant brilliant songs yeah like, like you was how, like aaron how, was saying about the cry of mankind i've i've watched metallica yeah. interviewed about when they were writing master of puppets and they they were saying kind of similar things about the vibe in the room and when they were kind of jam jamming on bits and stuff they had that same kind of feeling of like this is like the Kirk, the Kirk Hammett, the guitarist, was saying like he he was nearly crying and stuff because he the emotion it was kind of he knew how good the songs were going to be and could kind of feel it, feel how how incredible it was going to be. Definitely. Kind of hoping that vibe will come back when 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 we start writing our new album, um, because me and Andy sort of he said I'm. I'm writing new material, but I don't want to do it on my own. I want to come to rehearsal. We all we all need to help. We're both sort of thinking we'll be switching them lights off. <laughs> Maybe alarming. Getting the nun. You members of the band might be thinking this is a little bit potty, <laughs> but I think I think they will appreciate it once they feel the songs going and maturing. Um, and, and well, well, we'll certainly give it a go. It must be very difficult picking a set list um, when you're doing your touring. And obviously you're going to play stuff off the latest release that you've done, but going back and picking the fan favourites and also stuff that you want to do as well, rather than just picking the ones that you know are going to be the fan favourites, that must be quite a difficult task in itself. It gets harder with every album, but it's it's a nice problem. It's, you know, you've got, I think we've done over 200 songs now. So, you know, you, you play for sort of an hour and a half, two hours. And some of the songs are so long. A two-hour show, only it's only like eight songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we do look at what the fans like. And we look at ones we haven't played for a while. Obviously current. So if we had have toured in 2020, there would have been, I think, only two songs from Ghost of Orion. You, 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 you've just you've got to try and get something from each era mm. of your you know your your back catalogue. And if we do four or five songs from the Ghost of Orion, it means some of the old classics need to get elbowed out, and we don't want to do that. So there would only have been two songs from the Ghost of Orion, and then turn loose the swans the cry of mankind a couple of other classics and they would have thrown like maybe a b-side in us a couple of quirky ones that we want to play live because we haven't trod that territory for some time mm. and for us you have to throw some of those kinds of songs in because it keeps it fresh and interesting for us if we had to play the same stuff over and over again it would just be monotonous 
and we would you'd see us all looking at our watches halfway through the gig thinking jesus when is this over and i never want that to happen and that's another reason we don't play many shows because i don't want i don't want to think oh god i've got to do this again for another 120 times this year we we pick and choose where we play in the world and we decide how long we want to play for and which songs we're going to choose because we're able to do that is the songs are really special the gigs are really special and the fans have known this for years now so when we when we turn up in paris people know that okay this is my dying bride haven't been here for eight years we better go and see them tonight because they're probably not coming back for another eight years so the place is packed yeah and no gigs go building up to it and there's no gigs after it it's just a lone gig in france so everyone shows up and it's marvelous and we have a great time everyone has a great time if Paris was just number 46 in a row of 100, the atmosphere wouldn't be there. We'd walk out on stage, get on with it, mm. that it finishes soon so we can all get to bed and roll on to the next place. We never want that to happen. So 15, 16, 17, maybe 20 gigs in a year, that's enough for us. That's quite a good way of doing it, isn't it? Because it doesn't—it makes it like you, like you said, it makes it more passionate, more energetic, and it, it kind of feels more real. And you feel like you're giving yourself more to the fans, I suppose, rather than like you said, doing about a million shows for a tour. Yeah, yeah, it's the moves the focus to to the to the crowd on the fan rather than the you know the workhorse of a of a band that has to earn money because they that you know from touring and stuff like that. You can tell that you know the the will is there to have a you know a really good experience at a live show and you know not to just churn out as many shows as humanly possible i think you know that that's a trap that you can get caught in in the music industry these days very easily of all we can do is tour we need to tour we need to tour and you can see so many bands doing it and looking at like the troubles that bands that have had that haven't been able to tour and even the ones that have that have just been able to climb down for a minute and you know look retrospectively at, at what they've been doing and say i i don't want to do it anymore i'm out you know the mm. the the huge names that have have quit bands and the the all that kind of stuff quite recently is just kind of shocking to see and you're like okay even at the top it's it's not it's not great mm. you know mm. it's it's you know and that's as a small smaller band that's what you kind of look up and you aspire to these huge multinational you know powerhouses of, of music and business and all that kind of stuff and you're like wow you know that must be like feeling like being on top of the world to be to be where these guys are and you realize sometimes it's not and and clearly the industry has has had a bit of an impact on on that kind of thing it's yeah it's it's almost sad to see in a way that you can tell that some of them have lost that um relationship with with their audiences and, and stuff like that, that that you mentioned about yeah maybe not doing the whole tours but making it a really special event where you know certain people are going to be there and it's you know it's it's a really hard feeling to replicate you can't it just has to happen it's not something you can make happen we've i don't remember sacking any ex-band members of my dying bride they've all left because the, their life needed more attention they've simply grown tired of doing this and I can understand that, you know. Um, even, you know, we signed a deal. We, we were on Peaceville Records for 20 years, I think, and then we moved to Nuclear Blast Records, which is a step up or two up in anybody's book. Sure. And 
Yet even that wasn't enough to keep hold of Calvin, who left, and our drummer, Sean Taylor Steeles. They both left on the eve of the recording of The Ghost of Orion. You just think, that seems a very odd thing to do. The, strongs are, the songs are really strong. We've got a great label backing us now. The immediate future is looking very bright. Mm-hmm. Two of them jump ship. Yeah. I, it, it left us scratching our heads thinking, well, what, what frightened them off? And mm-hmm. we haven't really got answers back from them. But I think it's just life. Mm-hmm. People just, I don't know, they, they just think maybe when it gets a bit too serious, people think, oh, I might. Uh, I liked it when we, we sat in the back of transit vans and had a laugh <laughs> and got drunk and, and, and fell about on stage. When it starts to get more serious and the ante is upped, puts the frighteners on and people think, Do you know what, I'm not having any of this. It's not It's not for me. And, and we've had loads of members quit in the past, um, unless Andrew's been sacking them behind my back, but I don't know. <laughs> Scandal exposed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a time to find out. I had a bit more of a... <laughs> but when we... Sorry, Chris, what were you going to say? Sorry, Kermit. Uh, I, I was just going to say that we, we see we see exactly that happen so, so often. Like, even at, like very low level as soon as it starts to get above a certain okay every other weekend maybe we'll we'll have a practice or do a show as soon as it kind of <laughs> kicks above that level it's like i'm out i've and that's fair enough you know that's that's as far as some people want it to go and uh others will be as soon as tours get announced or mm. uh oh we're, we're thinking of you going to europe and something like that and they're just like nah not for me i think craig, like, craig really for them. really <laughs> but it's, it's down to the individual person and how yeah. far they want to go, isn't it? Th- Sorry, Ed, what were you saying? Well, g- going by ex-members, I think Craig Lefilf, I think, must win with the amount of ex-members they've got. <laughs> They're a bit ahead of us, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, like, we've tried, us, yeah. but... <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to say, they've, say they've to Aaron, um, a, a friend of mine um, just kind of asked me to mention something. Um, his his um, his name's Lawrence. He's in, in chat, I think. But his daughter, sadly, um, passed away recently. Um, he had uh, for my fallen angel uh, played at the funeral um, just la- the Tuesday just gone, and uh, he just wanted to say to you um, thank you for writing such a beautiful song. Um, and it, I appreciate and it, that. It's a shame it's being used under such dark circumstances. Yeah, that's that's horrendous. So of course, my daughter was on death's door a few years ago. Uh, this was why we haven't played live since. Uh, 2017 that September she was only five years old and diagnosed with cancer mm. so I effectively left the band and did everything I could to, to help wherever I could and uh, and it, it took it took two years to get her better and she's doing really well today Tough. but it's you know it's, it's like standing on the edge of the world and it's pure darkness ahead of you mm. there's no lights or anything and you just you just don't it feels totally unreal mm. and you think each morning when you wake up, was it a dream? And then, you know, you see the sights around you and you realise, <clears throat> unfortunately, it's not a dream. And so, you know, we we went quiet for a number of years, which is, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, the pandemic hasn't hit us that hard because I already came from an even darker place. Mm-hmm. But for me, the pandemic is an absolute breeze. Yeah. So it's, it's, it doesn't bother me at all. No, it can never be an easy thing, I must admit. No, no. Definitely. No, like you, you can't imagine no. what it would feel no. like. No, not at all. Um, 
Let me just have a quick flick through chat a second as I've been neglecting them. Um, I'm just going to take this opportunity to open one of my dying bride's beers. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Product placement, there we go. <laughs> Tip it to this my dying bride pint glass as well. Oh, I need one of those. I'm sure Ofsted should be all over this. Ofsted? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I t pe people need to really make simpler twitch names because i can't read any of them um all the normal stuff's <laughs> taken that's the problem you can't just have frank one can you it's all gone though <laughs> yeah I, I suppose you're right uh peugeot 501 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh quite a pinnix this is what i'm up against here you see um it says aaron do you remember the worst summer festival you played at <laughs> the nice <laughs> <laughs> can you can you remember the worst summer festival and it was a small one in venice in italy okay. um and it was only only terrible because <clears throat> we to perform in a marquee or a tent somewhere where it's dark and we can control the lights we've got a great lighting engineer and you know it, it adds to the ambience of the gig and our music's quite emotional and we want to control the lighting to, to you know help people along in that journey and a bit of dry ice and all the rest of it and the intimacy of having people sort of squashed in a little bit more just helps and it it makes for a really good passionate show Fortunately, the one in Venice, it was on an outdoor stage <clears throat> and we were looking directly into the setting sun. It was just, I spent the whole gig like that and like this. And it was just awful. And because we couldn't see the crowd properly and because it was spaced out in a huge field, there was just, it, what we were doing was lost. The atmosphere we had no control over anything. It was pointless. Our lighting engineer was totally wasting his time. And you'd, you'd blow the dry ice out and the wind would simply take it straight away. It was it was, it was was awful. Mm -hmm. um, and then afterwards, um, it was only in the evening. It, 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 I can't remember who was headlining, but we were, we were backstage having a few drinks. We didn't notice it, but it was only when someone came in and visited and said, Faces are bright red. We got sunburnt because oh, we were on stage for an hour and a half, and the sun was right there. And an hour and a half yeah. in blazing sunlight will turn you bright red. And <laughs> when we all returned home, we were just—we were sat on the aeroplane, and everyone was laughing at us because <laughs> all these regular-looking people, these bright red-faced idiots at the back, drinking gin and tonic. But that was this. So it just, you know, it took. It, it's funny now, but it, there was no atmosphere at that gig whatsoever. It was awful. So we played the um, pop festival fourteen times. Now we hold the record for the most appearances. Oh. And even though the guy who runs it, Bob, who we've known for years, he was one of the guys whose club we played at when we hired a transit van back in the day, and we've kept a, a good friendship with him all that time. He's, he's always saying, when are you going to play the main stage? And it's like, Bob, we're never going to play the main stage because it's it's out in the daylight. 
or, or, or the even when the, it drops nighttime, it's still not the same. We always play the marquee because mm-hmm. we can control the ambience, and that's really important to us. Um, so, you know, we, we try not to. If, we, if we've been booked on an outdoor gig, they've lied to us. <laughs> we've turned up expecting a tent, and it's not a tent, and then we get very disappointed. Um, I remember when we um, supported you in um, in 2013 at the Warfront Hall in Wolverhampton, and just being blown away by not only the sound, and obviously being a fan of the band, I was automatically going to like the songs, but just the lighting and the atmosphere in general, like the entrance to the set, I was just absolutely amazed. And really enjoyed it. It was really. You've got to make an impact. You know, it's, that's yeah. why we don't dress up on stage. We don't. We, we don't have a, a uniform, but we do. You know, I like a smart shirt, and I. 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 I, I I'm not going to turn up on stage in jeans and a t-shirt. You know, the, the stuff I've travelled there in, mm-hmm. because I think you're taking something away from the fans. They've paid good money to to see a good show. Mm. And I think if you can just dress some, you don't have to wear a shirt, but if you can just put on something that isn't your day wear, I think you're just making that extra effort. Mm. And they will appreciate that. When they see you looking smart or, or, you know, if you're a bit more of an outrageous band, you know, you've got all the gear on, they want to see that. They've paid to see that. They don't want you turning up in your joggers, (laughs) you know, the curlers in your hair and shit like that. Well, to see that the band has made an effort, and I think it's important to do that, and I think it's important to have a good lighting engineer and a good sound engineer. You know, we've only ever taken 90% of the time. Mags, the same studio engineer who's mastered our albums, is live with us because he knows the music. And um, with that superb team behind you, it can make you look really good. So it's important to have a really good team. Um, and, you know, I, I've just recently contributed to a charity song for the charity Stagehand, which is to help out crew, because they're all out of jobs at the moment. Um, all the tour bus companies are selling their buses because no one's buying them. The truck companies are selling their trucks. So these people really need a helping hand. And um, you know, there's a song called In Solitude, which is coming out on May the 4th. And all proceeds to that will go to Stagehand. And Cradle of Filth are on it, My Dying Bride, tons of other bands. So please check that out. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think I've heard something yeah, about, I saw a post, about that. I saw a post uh, about does, yesterday, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's great. great yeah, everyone should check it, it out. Um, it's, it's a big thing as well. It's, it's easy to forget that, like, the, the amount of work that goes in behind yeah. the scenes and, you know, with, with the crew and stuff like that and having people to work with that that know you and know your material and know your sound is is so much of of the battle a lot of the times like having <laughs> having to play the small clubs and work with you know the the in-house engineers that are just kind of like yeah there you go i'm off for a fag see you in half an hour you know like <laughs> oh, okay okay sure and then going from you that need, to having someone people... that's like oh i know you need to boost you here and reverb here and you need people you, you trust like all this, around you all the time especially yeah. in your position you need when you go into a situation, you just need to know everything's going to run smoothly because there's so many people kind of relying on it. All the people who are going to know what to do when yeah, things go wrong. It, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a hard hard. To find. We've we've always we've always treated our crew as friends mm-hmm. when we travel. 
anywhere in the world, you know, we're all chucked on an aeroplane together. We don't sit separate from the crew. We're all there together. We're all drinking gin and tonics. We, we always drink gin and tonics. Exactly. I don't drink gin and tonic anywhere on an aeroplane. <laughs> um, in the tour bus, the crew sleep wherever they want with the band. It's not, well, we're at the back, you're at the front. Mm-hmm. There's never any segregation between band and crew. In the dressing room, they can come and go. They can eat all the food. They can drink the drinks. <laughs> Everything is there. My Dying Bride, and My Dying Bride is everybody involved in that tour. It's not just the band, it's Mm -hmm. the crew as well, and the crew are our friends. Uh, We've been drunk as skunks with them, we've woken up in their beds, and we've fallen out of their beds, and we've had a laugh with all the crew for years and years and years, and it's important that you do have a crew that you trust in, um, and not, not people who you keep at arm's length, because... When something goes wrong on stage, if you if you're not particularly nice to your crew, they'll not be particularly nice back to you. And instead of fixing the problem immediately, they might a couple of extra seconds to jump on that mm-hmm. particular problem. Whereas our crew are all over it, yeah. um, and I think that's really important. Crew are as essential as the band. Without the crew, there's no gig. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. That's uh... Definitely. Um, we've had one more question from uh, Dan P. Uh, did you approach how you do death metal vocals differently after taking a three-album break in the mid to late 90s? Uh, the death metal vocals on The Dreadful Hours onwards are much more varied than those up to uh, up to around 1994, in brackets. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay, Tam. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I took a break from the death metal vocals uh, just because I thought I was writing lyrics that I wanted people to hear. And when you do death metal vocals on lyrics you're really proud of, you've you've quashed the quality of those lyrics because people can no longer audibly hear them. They can read them, of course. It, it loses a certain degree of impact. So I wanted people to hear the words that I'd written. I'd spent such a long time composing didn't want them drowned out with death metal vocals and also the music took on i think a slightly lighter note although of course it's still very melancholic in places and then i don't know what uh, what switch flicked all right i'm going to bring back the death metal vocals i think i just missed it Mm -hmm. i brought it back and it was great you know and you know i did a little bit on on the, the, the the new album and on the new ep and there'll probably be some on the next album it just comes and goes now um, and I think it, it, the music will dictate in the future how I approach my vocals. If the music is punchy and hard and in your face, then it's probably going to be a death metal style vocal because the tempo and the ferocity of the riffing demands that kind of vocal attack. If it's a more of a meandering harmonic um, guitar approach then i think the vocals should somehow go along with that and and you know hold hands together if you like um so we'll look at doing that in the future in the early days i just death metaled everything because it was fucking ace <laughs> and um, now you know i've grown up a little bit and it's, it's nice to think a little bit more about right th- this passage is quite an ambient piece let's do some whispering on this and then as soon as the tempo changes there's a key change as well and we've gone up we're really sort of pounding away then you can feel it and your adrenaline runs along with it and it's a natural thing to shout out and that's why we all love heavy rock music because (laughs) it's adrenaline fueled and we all want to shout out and that's what we do we like doing that and so there'll be more in the future if if, saying that you know if if we start writing songs (coughs) 
in the near future. It doesn't warrant death metal mo- vocals. I'm not going to throw them in mm. because I'm think I'm looking at the album thinking, oh, it's a bit barren of aggression. Maybe I should just throw a few in. It, they'll stand out like sore thumbs and won't work. So you, you look at the way the music's developing, and if you can see it moving towards that aggressive style, then you think, okay, we're limbering up for something a bit hotter now. And, and, it, and it just works. And so we, we'll just take it. We'll just go with the flow, go with the feel. If it feels right, do it. If it doesn't feel right, then you can leave it for an album or two. Mm-hmm. Well, some people will complain and say, ooh, it's all clean vocals again. But it will come back. It's just the mood at that time. I'm not going to put something in the album because everything that's there is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's it. It's got, it's got to be uh, because you Organic. want it to be there like, <laughs> and it suits. And yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It's like Rather than if you start going into the, the whole, right people have been saying they want this let's write this yeah. it kind of goes in a different direction doesn't it <laughs> it works the same with guitars doesn't it we've never had a map of an album we've never said right it's got to be eight songs three at five minutes blah blah, blah. we'll have a slow one a medium one a fast one we'll start one with piano it never works like that you just write mm. you feel is right at the time and it, it when it's finished is what it is and you don't know at the offset is it going to be a more aggressive album? Is it going to be more of a melancholic, slow one? We just don't know. We don't plan it, and we don't care what the, the figures are and all the rest of it. You write what's in your heart and what is the right thing that you feel to do at that time. And it's only later on, you know, particularly feedback from fans, and they'll say, oh, this album reminds me of, like, Gods of the Sun. And you're like, does it really? I can't see that because I was inside mm. creating it, not outside observing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just have to go with the flow and if it turns out to be loads of death metal fine if there's no death metal fine is what it is you have to let it grow naturally you shouldn't force any issues luckily peaceville never worst as into writing some sort of radio friendly song you know and a, a nuclear blast haven't done the same either uh, I know other bands, you know, they get told, you know, particularly by their manager, as I mentioned, we don't have a manager. Me and Andy are the bosses. People will be told, if you don't do a three and a half minute song where it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, bridge, verse, chorus, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> so they do it and they hate it, but they've done it in order to remain in the music business. Mm. We've never had to do that. We've had artistic freedom from day one. And if that stops, I'm out. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really good to have. That that was actually going to be my next question to you. Um, if like going on to Nuclear Blast has sort of changed the way your songs are written, but it's great that you've just been given that creative flow to just carry on as you were. Although some cynics though have pointed out that the production on uh, on our current album, um, The Ghost of Orion, it. it Quite lavish. We used. We haven't used Ma, uh, Mags this time round. We used Mark Minor, and he's put this really big, heavy, lush sound on. You know, I think you said at some point there's 13 guitars in one song, so we've really layered it on. You know, the vocals are layered about 20 times. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Some people have argued. Oh, they've moved on to a big label, so they've had to do this overly produced thing now. Um, <laughs> isn't it a shame they're not doing the low-budget stuff they did 25 years ago? And it's, it's, not, it's not like that. It's, this is how it turned up. 
but in time. It's got nothing to do with the record label. And as I say, we're about to begin work on another album. I have no idea what it's going to sound like. Nobody does. No. We're just going to work it out to the label and say, that's it. We're not editing anything. We're not taking anything out. That's our album, and you're going to release it. And they'll probably say, well, of course we are. It's fucking amazing. Thanks very much. <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> yeah. Even if you look back at, say, like um, my favourite album, A Line of Deathless Kings, and For Lies Isaiah, the production on those albums were really good as well. Um, so I think the production's always been quite... Deathless Kings, is, the know, production, really, in my opinion, yeah. is like flawless on it. It's like... Yeah, it sounds like It's got like a kind of perfect sound because mm. i was involved on that you know i sometimes think you know I, 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 the vocals are enough for me but sometimes when we recorded an album and um it goes away to be produced and andrew goes along with it and i, I tag along sometimes even though i have know nothing about studios i just want to push one of those sliders up and then <laughs> and then perhaps pull it down a little bit like that. so make sure I have my photo taken of me doing that so that it appears in the paper, you know, the, 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 the music press. But I have no idea what's going on. And, and sometimes shouldn't go to these um, these engineering production sessions because they start listening to a song, they analyse every single instrument over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it saps the creativity out of the song. And after a while, not listening to the song anymore, you're listening for shot from the snare yep. other than listening to the song that you created you're listening to one tiny bit looking for a mistake and it destroys the song for you so when it comes to production and engineering i'm nowhere to be seen unless there's a photo shoot <laughs> <laughs> no i know what you mean have to be there. it's yeah i take care of a lot of the pre-production stuff for, for the stuff that we do so it is just that it's Let's let's play this riff nine hundred times until it's perfect, uh, and then I, I I think with our with our latest album because we did so much work with it um, from home and um, getting everything ready to then go into the studio because we had a limited budget and stuff like that. But you know it, it was something that we could do. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I think it was a case of right. I'm not going to listen to any of this. So I sent off the final pre-production and all the stems to be mixed and stuff like that. And I was like, right, let's let's not listen to it for you know, eight eight months or something like that. So when I come back to it, I am actually nicely surprised that I remember some of these things. Oh, I forgot about that. And But no, yeah, I, I know what you mean with that. It's uh, You do get a bit blind to the song for looking at the, the parts and the hearing, trying to see, oh, what frequencies do I need to take out here and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it, it does ruin the creativity side of it, definitely. Um, but it is, a, it is another interesting side. But... Uh, I was just wondering... Uh... Absolutely. Sorry, Carol. Andrew composes most of the songs, particularly in, in current times, and oh, he can sit there and after recording an album and listen to every song in the most minute detail is mm. beyond me. Or, or maybe because he created the songs, yeah. that he wants to be there to listen to every single note. But it, it would absolutely, it would destroy every single song for me if I had to listen to it a hundred times that'd be adrian that'd be adrian who does that in this band <laughs> well, well yeah, but that's the thing that you're right when, when when you're the song when you're like the main songwriter or the person who's written written that song you do need to hear it like that 
because you, you need to like fine tune every every little moment but you are right in a sense as well if you're listening to the same keyboard or piano section over and over and you're thinking oh did i did i play that as well as i could have and you you start going a bit crazy don't you i mean well i did anyway you, you can't tell anymore no, like, no. like when when i was doing the mixing the other day i just got to the point where i'm like does this sound good guys because <laughs> i i can't tell anymore i was like no like I, you need some kind of outside influence because yeah. you've just listened to the same track for two days yeah. and you're like i whatever it's just mm. release no <laughs> you're like no need to put it away come back later and with our and try um, and have some objectivity with our last album we were quite lucky as well the one that we the self-titled one the one that we just released um we had um Carl Green mix it um from Threshold and um he, he liked our original album anyway. He's a big fan of my Dying Bride as well, actually. But um he sort of gets on gets on music, so it's quite nice to have a producer that likes your stuff and knows what you're sort of going for and willing to take that chance to, you know, change a song that you, you might be surprised of how it sounds. So it's quite nice in, in that way. Um so we are we did, you know, we're quite lucky in that sense. Mm. The reverse. On the first couple of albums to a studio, Academy Studios, which was um, it's kind of they worked with Peaceville Records, and a lot of Peaceville bands went through Academy Studio. And the guy who ran it, Appleton, he, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, was a more elderly gentleman, used to the crooners and you know people doing Frank Sinatra covers and and that that sort of thing. Okay. When we showed up as the, as the Flower Withers, um, in fact, it was Symphonaire Infernus before then. Keith didn't know what to make of it. He'd never heard anything like it. <laughs> it was a 12-minute song um, with a Latin title, with the heaviest guitars, death metal vocals. It, it, it blew his mind. And he, he rang Hammy at Peaceville and said, Hammy, you need to come some buttons because I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> so Hammy would show up and he'd light a massive, great fucking cigarette full of dope. Yeah, we turn all the lights off. Listen um, to it. Walking away. He's got his headphones on because he's lost now. Hammy's <laughs> just pushing all his buttons and we're just nodding, going, yeah, fucking brilliant. And the first few records were just produced like that. No one knew what they were doing. We just thought, if it sounds good, if it sounds shit, delete it. Yeah. And we just fumbled our way through the first couple of albums, including Turn Loose the Swans. Wow. That's what we got to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the attitude to take, though, isn't yeah. it? If it sounds good, keep it. If it sounds shit, get rid of it. Just, you you can't go too wrong with with that ethos. <laughs> uh, I just uh, I right. wanted just wanted to ask you quickly about um, what it was like to be involved in the Holy Trinity shows with um, Paradise Lost and Anathema. It was great fun. We'd known these guys for years. We'd, we'd gig with them, particularly in the early days. We um, we released our one and only demo tape uh, towards the sinister, and we were lucky in Bradford. There was a, a small venue called the Cellar Bar, the Queen's Hall Cellar Bar, and the Queen's Hall was the big venue upstairs. The Cellar Bar was the dive downstairs. But you could hire the room out for fifty pounds, charge anything on the door. So so we did. We got together with Paradise Lost, and we did gigs with Cathedral and Asthma, Pitch Shifter, all kinds of bands from back in the day. And we did these gigs, and it was like two pounds to get in for three bands. That's a bargain price, even back then. Yeah. And you just hoped that by keeping the fee to the gig really low, you would flood the venue with people, and then it's selling the T-shirts. That's where you made your money, and it worked every time. Mm -hmm. And so we'd worked with these guys at times. And it got to a stage where PL were doing their stuff, 
and we were doing their stuff and we were doing ours. And we, we didn't cross paths very often, except maybe at big festivals. Mm. And then it was PL's birthday and, and we know their manager, Andy Farrow, very well. We've known him for years as well. And he gave us a rang and said, do you fancy doing this, the, a couple of these gigs? One of them never happened. I can't remember which one. There were supposed to be three, but only two happened. And I can't remember why the third one didn't happen. Um, but the two we did do were fantastic, uh, absolutely blinding. It was great to sit and watch an asthma do their stuff. We did our stuff. It was great to sit and watch PL do their stuff. And it was all, you know, slapping on the back and well done everybody afterwards. And it would be great to yeah, do them again. Awesome to see it again, definitely. How was your um, tour with um, Iron Maiden in the 90s? It was 95, was it? When you toured? Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was one of the best experiences we've ever had, as you can imagine. You know, we got yeah. to play soccer on their football team as well. <laughs> and uh, it's just amazing, you know, pulling on that Iron Maiden football shirt and doing you limbering up a little bit with Steve Harris stood next to you. And it's just like, it's, this is like a weird, surreal dream going on right here. And then you jog out onto the pitch. On the very first match, we were in Sweden, in Stockholm, and uh, Andrew scored the very first goal. And it was just like, brilliant. And then Rick, our drummer, scored the second goal. And Steve Harris was over the moon. He's like, oh, I've got some right ringers in here. <laughs> and we proceeded to lose by six goals, but that's by and by. Uh, we played in Milan and we played in Glasgow. And they were just the football matches. And then we, we played with them all around Europe. Um, it's a big venues as well. Mm. And we just had, we had the time of our lives. It was absolutely great. Yes. I can imagine that was, yeah. Every band's pretty, dream, yeah, pretty much <laughs> to, to to play with Iron Maiden, isn't it? And we really kept our noses clean, you know. We didn't act all rock and roll, and that. We we tried to be nice, polite people because we are. So it wasn't a big ask. And yeah. there was a time when, um, for some reason, Nico couldn't make it to sound check. So Maiden's crew asked Rick if he wouldn't mind getting behind Nico's kit and sound checking, Rick was like, what? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um... <laughs> uh, Rick sat behind the biggest drum kit he's ever seen in his life. And because obviously we'd seen a handful of their sound checks up to this point, this was show number 10 or something like that, Rick pretty much knew what was going on. Mm. He just picked up the sticks and off he went. And we were all mesmerised. And the crew stopped working to turn and watch Rick giving it the full bean every single piece of that kit Rick used and when he finished he got a standing ovation from everybody there all the crew it was amazing and he was just made up and the, the second time he did it because they told Nico guys shit up <laughs> second night Rick's doing it again Nico sneaks up behind him and he stood there like that <laughs> And it's only when Rick's finished and we all go, that ah, was all right. He stands up and Nico's right behind him and he's just, it was just, the look on Rick's face was just astonishing, you know. But Rick was always a, an amazing drummer, Rick. Uh, probably still is. Um, and a very, very nice guy. And you can see how that would have absolutely made his decade for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Imagine yeah, that. That would have been incredible. incredible. <laughs> Brilliant cool and um, we've just hit the hour 35 mark so i think that's probably a good place to uh call it for this episode um so 
thanks so much, Aaron, for joining us uh, this Thank evening. You. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a great chat. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, we've got some fantastic insights. <laughs> Enjoy myself. Uh, next time I'll bring some my dying bride crisps. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll we'll have a link to the to the store ready next time where uh, the good people can I'll purchase have my, my all of them. I'll my dying bride pint glass um, ready next time so I can. Uh, Appetize. Yeah, we definitely need to, don't we? <laughs> yeah, so, someone in the chat posted, uh, where was it? Fuck, I need that pint glass. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> now online.co.uk, they've got all our merch. There we go. You know where to go. Uh, so head over there now and, and buy yourself a, uh, a pint glass. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, if you haven't already, give us a follow. Uh, we do these podcasts uh, we say monthly, try to be. Uh, sometimes it's two weekly. Sometimes it's it's once every three to four weeks or so. Um, but yeah, we're we're as you can see, going through a new section of getting guests on, uh, which I think is going quite yeah, well. Very I think well. we've uh, we're off to a flying start. Uh, it's only downhill <laughs> from here. Um, but uh, if you've liked what you heard, um, you can support our podcast uh, by going to our Patreon, which is on screen now, which is patreon.com forward slash await by design. Uh, that just goes into help us keeping the podcast going um, and making it as best as we can. Because uh, obviously, like everything else we do, is on a shoestring budget. So uh, if you want to, no pressure. Um, but yeah, do follow our Twitch channel and social media to get notified of when we do these things. Um, and we do loads of other things as well. So we've got some uh, interesting projects with uh, live stream music and stuff like that coming up. And whenever we do anything uh, at our studio, it's all live streamed as well. So you can check us out there. So thanks a lot for joining us. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Good night. Cheers. Everybody, bye-bye. Bye.